What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Mets Legends podcast. Uh, we're switching it up a little bit this time. I'm going to do the lead in. I'm Michael Jennings, played by Michael Jennings, and <laughs> <laughs> joined as always by Rob Pearsall, obviously playing the role of Brad Emouse. Um, there we go, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. I was snacking on some pretzels. Uh, as you know, um, <laughs> while we were talking before we recorded, mm-hmm. um, today was really beautiful because Mike normally drops in the Zoom link and I join and I'm always greeted by Mike's pleasant beard and, and everything. <laughs> and today Mike is wearing a, he's, he's back in black. Uh, back he's in blacking black. out this, he's blacking out this Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> he's got the black hat on. I've got a black New Jersey Devils hat on. I'm wearing a Daryl Strawberry um, batting practice jersey, um, but I'm good. Uh, when I'm eating pretzels, I always think about that's get from the Eric Andre show where Hannibal is eating pretzels mm. and he just goes, pretzels is the same. And it's really true. All well, pretzels kind of just do taste the same. Yeah, very um, true. They're a good I'm sure, snack. Though. I'm sure Germans would have something to say about that, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, pretzels, I'm not a, I'm not a huge pretzel guy. Every once in a while, I will indulge in a hot pretzel. I like to dip it in the mustard. I'll have some pretzels at home. They're kind of that snack where you can rely on them and like <laughs> yeah. you'll eat them, but they're never like your go-to choice. Like, I never sit there and crave pretzels. Like I see them in my pantry and I eat them, but that's really the extent of pretzels. Um, I kind of disagree with that, to be honest. Wow, I think okay. one, one of my absolute favorite snack time snacks is pretzels and hummus. Like that is, that's one of my go-tos. Um, well, you added the hummus aspect, which is, right. which I feel like adds another element. And I agree mm-hmm. with that. Okay. I love hummus. Mm-hmm. I'm a big hummus fan. My mom is a vegetarian and she has been like my whole life. So yeah. she was on the hummus wave, like way before you even really saw it in stores, like yeah. to the degree that it is now. But my mom used to make hummus when I was growing up. Oh, nice. Uh, and she always would make it really nice. Like she'd make it with like, you know, a little olive oil, salt, pepper, um, you know, and uh, it was always really good. And so I've always been a big hummus guy. And uh, hummus and pretzels really is a power combo. It's a good snack right there. Oh, yeah. A little celery action, maybe some carrots. You could dip in the hummus as well. Yeah. Oh, well. You had mentioned as we were coming in that I am rocking the back in black, uh, black Mets hat. Uh, this hat holds kind of a special place because I was really, that was kind of the thing that I was most excited about with the black uniforms coming back. Like the first Mets hat I ever really remember having and wearing a lot, um, was like this, this black one, um, there's like a picture of me. I, I don't know where it is, but there's a picture of me and my brothers. We're all wearing like uh, the 2000 National League champions shirts. They're way too big. I was five years old and it was like a dress. Um, but I had like that black hat on and I'd had that. And it was also way too big. It was like seven and a quarter <laughs> on a five-year-old's head. Um, but I kept that hat for a really long time, like wore it all through high school and stuff. Um, but then my head got to be too big. Now like three sizes bigger than that now. So, um, so I'm really stoked to have one that fits my head, first of all, 
and that mm -hmm. they're available. Like as soon as I saw, I think I saw a tweet that like the black hats were on the team store online. I immediately ordered one. Um, so stoked about it. Love that Cookie Carrasco was the first to wear it. I think on the last episode we had we were talking about how Rich Hill was originally scheduled to start that game and how that was fitting because he was playing the last time the Mets actually wore those uniforms and he's like kind of the only one. Um, but I think Carrasco was also playing in 2012 as well. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been so like such a big part of like the conversation around the Mets needs, especially with starting pitching. Um, and so I think it was very fitting that C cookie got to wear the first one and in fitting Mets fashion, he gave up a home run on the first pitch delivered where <laughs> that, that uniform, but whatever they won the game. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, what's funny too, is that, uh, the guy who hit it off of him was Jonathan India, who grew up a Mets fan. A Mets fan. Yeah, I found which that Which I didn't yesterday. know. Yeah, I didn't know that. They mm -hmm. mentioned it on the broadcast when the Mets played in Cincinnati mm -hmm. uh, prior to the trade deadline. I was uh, – I, I didn't actually watch the game on Friday. I was out. Um, so I watched the highlights later on. I was dying. I, I wasn't around a TV, so I couldn't watch the game. So I, I ultimately watched the highlights on my phone. Yeah, um, I did too. I watched like the first like three innings. It looked good, man. I mean, it 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 really was. And you know, I was one of those people who like I got to the point around like 2009, 2010, 2011, where A, the Mets sucked, mm -hmm. but B, like I got to a point where I got really tired of like their uniforms and I didn't love the black being incorporated. And I think a lot of it, it wasn't so much like the black uniforms themselves. It was more so like I hated the black backdrop on the like the, on the white jerseys, yeah, which I thought looked terrible. Mm -hmm. And the Mets would also like they they would wear the black hats with the blue brim with those white jerseys with black socks. Yeah, and it just I got tired of the black. And so like when in 2012, where they introduced like the new uniforms, quote unquote where they got rid of the black backdrop. Um, they introduced the blue alternate jerseys. Uh, that was exciting. And I was happy about that. But now here we are around yeah. 10 years later, having those black jerseys back, like sparingly, I kind of mm -hmm. like, like it was, it was very, it was, and it was funny too, because um, none of those guys were on the team when the, the Mets wore the black jerseys last, except for, maybe from familia because he debuted in 2012 and that was the we last did? year the Mets yeah that was the last year the Mets wore the black jerseys too oh. whether he wore it or not I don't know but well they I, wore him so know much they yeah. yeah they wore him so much near the end that oh you're right he played in eight games in 2012 <laughs> oh. he was really young back then yeah um, and so I don't know if like they ended up wearing those black jerseys when he still played, but he's like the last player that like could have worn the black, but it was nice to see, like, like it really, like it was nice to see the black jerseys again. I was happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, and it just really, like, it really did pop. Like it really did look good. And I forgot how good, like the white and the orange and the blue, yeah. like looked popping off the black jerseys. Um, 
And it really was nostalgic to a point too, because they didn't really change the jerseys at all. Um, other than like the, there's the Nike swoosh on the, on the front of the jerseys. Um, but it was cool. I Overall, thought, I thought Miguel Castro rocked it the best. He looked so good in, oh, yeah. in that black jersey. I was like, oh man. <laughs> this I'm excited. Guy, this guy's so much swag already. And you just add him in like a black jersey and it's just like, oh. I'm excited to see Javi Baez wear it. Obviously, they acquired him that day. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't make it in time for the game. So he wasn't there wearing the black jerseys on the field. Um, I think the Mets are going to wear them. There's some weird rule because Rob, Rob Manfred sucks ass um, that like you can only wear new uniforms that aren't league approved mm-hmm. or whatever it is five times in a year. So the Mets, and, and they're not even able to like fix that until like 2023. So next right. season two, the Mets are only going to be able to wear them five times as well. Unless so there's annoying. some weird unless there's some weird loophole, mm-hmm. um, but they're going to wear them again. I think four times this year, the last four home Friday games they have, I think they're going to wear them. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll be able to see Baez. We'll be able to see Lindor. Um, I really want to see DeGrom wearing the black jerseys. I think, I think we all would. I think let's any yeah. Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At this point. So since we saw you guys last, because we didn't end up recording an episode last week, cause I'm a goddamn liar. um things just got kind of crazy it didn't I I didn't really like me and Mike had talked about it a little bit um there was so much going on over the weekend that yeah it just like I felt like our podcast would have gotten kind of lost in the shuffle so we're just starting again fresh this week Mm -hmm. um but since we saw you guys last the Mets acquired Javier Baez from the Cubs um along with uh pitcher Trevor Williams uh, in exchange for their first round pick from last year, Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, when the when the when the reports first came out, um, I was a little bit upset they traded PCA. Uh, I liked him a lot as a prospect. As I've kind of warmed up to the deal a bit, um, I, I'm not super upset they traded Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, he is out this whole year. Um, he's been out for most of this year after undergoing surgery kind of seems like he's a guy who is, is never going to have big power coming out of the outfield. Um, you know, he might be a a good hitter. Uh, he might turn out to be a good hitter. Um, but it wasn't a deal that, and after talking to people that I know are like a little bit more prospect savvy than me, um, they weren't really too like bummed out about it. So I I don't think, I think they, 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 they didn't give up a ton of prospect capital, um, especially since that was the only player that what that the Cubs got back. Yeah, uh, they didn't get any other prospects back. It was just Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, I mean, yeah. So I agree. Looking back, like, and last last week at this time, we were just beginning to hear the rumors and and consider the uh, the prospect of Javi Baez becoming a New York Met, um, and like. Last week, you know, we were kind of, we were kind of saying like, oh, Javi would be okay, but someone like Story or Bryant would be a better fit. Um, and I kind of want to walk that back a little bit because I, I, the more, the more the week went on, especially, and the more I was hearing about like 
what was kind of expected for Bryant what, and what ended up being paid for Bryant. Uh, we can get to that. But the more I kind of brought myself around to the fact that Javi really fits well into this team, um, I remembered about, you know, Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez having that uh, really fun, like middle of the infield relationship at the World Baseball Classic. Um, and, you know, I kind of came around to thinking, and the more I actually talked to my friends who are Cubs fans, um, the more I kind of came around to like, you know what, Javi definitely fits his team better than Bryant would, I think. And um, the Mets didn't pay a huge price. Like the Giants paid for Bryant to what two of their top 10 prospects for one guy. So, um, you know, I'm not one to be, to be like a prospect hoarder or a prospect hugger um, too much because you never, you truly never know like who's going to pan out and who won't. Um, so ultimately I, I'm very happy with the move. And I think, you know, Williams can provide some depth out of the bullpen, which is much needed. I think the, I think the Mets have their high leverage guys and that's kind of set. Um, I think with a back end of Diaz, Lugo, Castro, Familia, I mean, that's four back end guys that you can really pretty much rely on. Um, some with heart palpitations, some, some not, you know, so we'll see how it all shakes out down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I think I would have, I was, I think I was only let down because I expected the Mets were going to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so when yeah. like the four, when the 4 PM deadline rolled around and you had Mark Feinsand and Justin Toscano and whoever else saying that the Mets were done and that they didn't add anybody else. I was a little bit upset because I think that like they probably could have benefited from at least adding some fresh arms, like, you know, to have, like oh, yeah. that. but you know, I mean, who really knows? I mean, there are conversations that, that go down in the front office, I'm sure, on the phones with Sandy Alderson, with Zach Scott. Maybe they're just – maybe it just didn't come to fruition. You know, maybe they mm-hmm. were really trying. and You just never really know yeah. like, I mean, what happens as the hours kind of dwindle down. Um, you know, I know they were, in on, they were in on some guys. You had some reports coming out, you know, that – Michael Fulmer was, was potentially available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that Rysella Iglesias was potentially available. Um, you know, there were some tweets that the Mets were, were maybe, you know, close to landing Craig Kimbrell. Um, you know, there are certain things that you just don't know exactly how those conversations went down. Um, so from an outside perspective, it's upsetting. Um, you know, and then you have Jacob DeGrom, the news that Jacob DeGrom goes down with an injury and he's going to be out till September, kind of after the deadline mm-hmm. um, passed. And you don't know if they knew that ahead of time or what have you. Um, you know, maybe Baez was the only deal that they were really able to, to, to solidify. Um, and without you know, giving but, up too much, too, like it, it's a fine balance that, like, that a GM has to, has to walk. It's a quite the tightrope um, because you want to compete now, especially when you're in a window like the Mets are with, you know, the talent they have on the team. But at the same time, you don't want to bankrupt your future by 
you know, trading away too much on, on, on what is at this point in the season, all of the people who were moved were pretty much true rentals. Like I can't really think of all that many players that have even like options for next year, except for like Barrios and Kimbrel, I know for a fact have like team options or uh, some sort of like extended control. So like it was definitely a seller's market where sellers could ask for a bit more because there was all, there's really only a few teams that are really trying to go for it right now, just because of the way things have shaken out uh, in pretty much every um, division in baseball this season. I mean, the, the National League West is you have three front runners and they're probably all going to make the playoffs. So those are three buyers right there. And then anyone outside of the, you know, the division leaders of the Mets and the Brewers, it's a pretty outside chance of being able to really accomplish much. So it, it, it created this like weird sort of environment, I think, where if you're like the Phillies or the Braves, where, or even like the Reds, you're kind of on this bubble that's pretty hard to penetrate. Um, and so what do you do? Like maybe tinker a little bit, but you, you really don't want to give up too much at that point. Yeah. And the Mets were kind of in a position too, where like you saw Brody Van Wagen in the last couple of years, really bully the farm system and kind of give away these prospects mm-hmm. haphazardly with, with very little regard, you know, and for guys that like, weren't even really big difference makers. Like you look at the, like you look at the guys that he was willing to give up for Keon Broxton, for JD Davis, for, and JD Davis is a little bit different. I shouldn't put him in the same category as Broxton, but um, you know, at the time Davis wasn't really a proven commodity. You know, the Mets are lucky that he has been able to perform to some degree, but Mm -hmm. you know, you look at guys that it didn't really pan out for, you know, you know, they gave up prospect capital for Keon Broxton, like I said, for Jake Marisnik. You know, they gave yeah. up a lot to get uh, Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. Mm-hmm. You gave up other prospects here and there, you know, for guys like Wilmer Font, for Ariel Gerardo, for Robinson Chirinos, for Todd Frazier. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Mets were kind of in a position where they were like – you. Th- I really thought that they, they, they might move Ronnie Mauricio. Um, I thought that they could maybe move Mark Vientos. Jalen Palmer is a guy that you've kind of seen coming. You've kind of seen mm. uh, coming up through the system who I was thinking maybe would, would get moved. You know, at the end of the day, all they gave up was Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, it hurts a little bit more now that the Mets didn't sign Kumar Rocker, um, who is their first round pick. This yeah. year, um, you know, if you've been at all involved in Mets Twitter the last 24 plus hours, um, oh, that's been the main topic. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Uh, everyone's very upset. And, and I understand where people are coming from. I think a lot of people are pissed off at Steve Cohen's comments kind of coming onto the timeline. Um, you know, and I think a lot of Mets fans are just pissed off in general right now because they dropped two out of three to the Cincinnati Reds this weekend. Um, you know, the Mets have kind of been 
just treading water. Thankfully, they're playing a division that's mediocre and, and pretty uninspiring beyond them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even me, I fell into the negativity this weekend. I'll admit yeah. that I did. Um, I got called out for it publicly on the timeline on Twitter. Um, humbled me out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> there was this girl, like, I tw- on Saturday morning. I, I think I saw it, but I don't remember the tweet. <laughs> so on Saturday morning, I, I, like, woke up, and it was after they lost on Friday. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to let the negativity get to me today. You know, going to sign off Twitter, uh, this and that. I hope you have a great day. And then Rich Hill let up four runs Saturday night, and I was <laughs> like – the Mets deserve this. They didn't do enough of the deadline. <laughs> and this girl was like, yo, you literally said eight hours ago that you were going to be positive today. And I was like, shut up. Fair. <laughs> I was like, fair. You got me. I was like, I was like, I have been exposed. Uh, you got me. Um, but you know what? You know, like, I'm not going to, like, I was, I was being negative Saturday night, but mm-hmm. I think that like a lot of people, feel the way that I did, you know, like, yeah, and I think definitely. a lot of people feel this way, you know, and it's like, and the only reason it feels, the only reason why we get upset, like we do, or like, I, you know, I'll speak for myself here because I'm the one who's guilty of it in this scenario, <laughs> but I, you know, I really think that all Mets fans have experienced that, you know, and I think a lot of fans have been experiencing that lately um, is because while we can't control what goes on in the field, and while the Mets as a team aren't this tangible thing that we can hold and we can possess, um, it's that we, we expend so much energy on this team and we, we put so much love and so much time and like energy into, into this team that when like they do underperform and they don't, they don't like, it's almost like, it's like, we have this golden opportunity in our laps this season and for them to like not really fully run away with it to this point, I think it does get frustrating and you do get angry. And I fell victim to that for sure. Um, So I've kind of been trying to be more positive about it. And this aspect, you know, the Kumar rocker thing could take up a whole episode. We could do a whole episode on that alone. Um, I think there's, there's, there's blame from, from many aspects, you know, like. Is Kumar rocker a Mets legend? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. All right. Cool. Yeah, he, All I right. think so. At this point, he is um, <laughs> very much to the same breath of AJ Burnett, who was a Mets legend. Okay. You know, he was, he was traded before. Um, I think he was traded to the Marlins in the Al Leiter deal. So I, I think that they, they did get some value there, but he is someone who never made it to the majors as a Met. But um, so I guess I, I'll say this Kumar Rocker is a Mets legend if the compensation pick that they get for not signing him turns into like, turns into someone legit. Totally. And I think, you know, I think like, that'll, I think that'll fulfill the criteria for me. Totally. And you know, the thing is, it's like, like I said, we could talk about this. We could do a whole episode on, on rocker. Mm. I'm not going to bring the negativity here. We could dissect it. You know, we could, we could, we could give our thoughts on Scott Boris, on Steve Cohen, on whoever else, but all we can really do now as fans, and this is me kind of trying to take the high road on this one after being humbled this weekend on the timeline. <laughs> in public. Uh, in public. I got put on blast. Um, 
is, is look forward to next year at this point. Cause that's all they could do. You know, like, like you have two first round picks next year. You got to take advantage yeah. of them. That's really what it comes down to. You have the number 11 overall pick. And if the Mets finish the season with a good record, you know, they're probably going to be somewhere on the, on the back end of the draft, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe like the late tens, early twenties, mid twenties. Um, so you have two first round picks next year. Don't squander them. Um, yeah. You know, and maybe, you know, depending on what happens with Marcus Stroman, probably not Stroman, but Syndergaard and Conforto and Javi Baez, um, they might have some compensation picks sprinkled in there as well. But take advantage of the draft next year because we really need it. Um, but so I think I think a lot of Mets fans right now are just are very are in a negative headspace because of the weekend, because maybe they didn't do enough at the deadline um, and because Rocker didn't sign. Um, and I, and I understand that. Like, I definitely feel like a little bit deflated after this weekend. Um, I'm sure you do to a certain extent as well. Yeah. I mean um, a little, but like, I think it's important to remember that players don't have really any, any idea what goes on in the front office. Like I feel like in a lot of ways, fans pay way more attention to that than the players do. Like, and, and, and it was, I mean, it was obvious during the trade deadline, like when Marcus Stroman was kind of tweeting about like, oh, getting Javi would be sick. And people were like, oh, like, do you know something? And he's like, no, I don't know anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we don't talk to anyone. So I think I, I'm taking even a different approach to like, I'm just looking forward to tonight and tomorrow and like continuing on this season. Like this season still has something to root for in it. Like I'm not, anything can happen. Truly anything can happen. Like I saw another tweet that I saw that I really liked over the weekend was like comparing, uh, you know, the current NL East to the 2006 NL Central. Like I think the Cardinals ended like 87 wins or something like that 86 wins and they went on Mm -hmm. to win the world series so like there's there's a path forward there's always a a past precedent for something going bad but also for something going good and i think you know you just got to take it day by day and you can't get too high and you can't get too low as any baseball player will tell you like today was maybe a terrible day tomorrow is a brand new day and you got to kind of have like that mentality even as a fan especially now uh that there's like so much access to so much more information um you know when you have reporters tweeting out minute by minute what's going on at the trade deadline like people can play gm all they want but trades don't happen in a vacuum like from a mets fans perspective we can say oh it makes complete sense to send these prospects to the Rockies for Trevor Story and John Gray. But without any idea of what the Rockies front office thinks of those two players, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a lot of people kind of fall into that trap. 100%, you know, 100%. And I mean, look, like, um, Trevor Story didn't even end up getting traded, you know? So, like, the Mets, who knows? I mean, John Gray, it seemed like the day of the deadline, mm-hmm. you had reports coming out where it was like the Rockies – we're going to hold on to him. That was kind of their mindset. Yeah. Um, the Rock, the Mets could have offered 
the Rockies a package for story and they might have just felt it was unsatisfactory. Um, you know, I mean, unless you're really right there, or you're an insider and you know, you have direct access to knowing, you know, who really knows, but I think you're right. And I think that you make a lot of good points. You know, there's been a lot of negativity on the timeline recently. Um, so hopefully if you guys are listening to this, um, maybe we could be able, we could offer a little bit of a different perspective and it's fine if you disagree with us, that's totally okay. I mean, yeah, you know, I went to, I went to journalism school. I've been yelled at many times about call it a failed <laughs> deadline if you want, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't prescribe to that. I don't think it was a failed deadline when you bring in somebody like, like Javi Baez who can be a game changer. We, you can. And I will, I will definitely say last week, I was not that high on Javi Baez um but if that's our if that's if that's the big acquisition for this trade deadline for this stretch then i'm all in on it because at at the end of the day i support the team and i support the guys who are there so listen we did we didn't have a we didn't have a hobby bias this time last week we have a hobby bias now yeah um and it's better today than it was last friday sure definitely and listen lindor is hurt right now hobby bias is going to get a chance to play shortstop every day I want to go back to what you were saying a little bit about the 06 Cardinals. And we could even talk about the 1973 Mets a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, That was another team. They finished, I think, four games over 500. They were 83 and 79. Yeah. And they made it, and they they brought that World Series that year to a game seven against Oakland. Um, A juggernaut, Oakland. Like that team was insane. That team was insane. That was a team that had, I believe, Reggie Jackson was like their big bopper on that team. Dennis um, Eckersley, I believe. Dennis right? Eckersley yeah. was amazing. Yeah, that team was kind of like the unanimous choice to win win it all that year, and they did. Mm-hmm. But the Mets, the Mets gave them a run for their money. So the thing is, like, being a Mets fan, I think we've learned one thing in our time being Mets fans is that tomorrow is not really guaranteed. You know, twenty fifteen we felt very high and mighty and it was kind of almost like we didn't expect them to even make it to the world series that year. But we also thought that we thought it was going to be the first of, of like this, this dynasty as a Mets fan of like, okay, we didn't win this year, but we're going to be back. We didn't get back to the world series, you know, like Mm -hmm. they didn't, they didn't make it back there. They, They haven't been a perennial playoff team since then. So they have an opportunity this year to make the playoffs once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen, you know, like, like you, like, and the thing is like this team, like they don't suck. Like, 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 yeah, I might've said otherwise, you know, sometimes out of anger, but they have a lot <laughs> of talent on this team. They really do, yeah. you know? And, and to me, a great mindset, like their mindset is always lose today, win tomorrow and take the rubber match. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's how they operate. And that is a winning mentality in a baseball season. Like, it's so many games that like one game doesn't decide really anything. It's, it's, it's such a war of attrition over the course of a season. And, you know, the fact that the Mets continue to win a bunch of series and like, yeah, okay. They lost two out of three to the Cincinnati Reds, but they're also a good team. Like yeah, the Mets kind of do what they're supposed to do. They beat the bad teams. They give the good teams, you know, a, a good show of it. And totally, I, you know, that's, that's a recipe for success. Yeah. And, and also like you have to, you have to figure like they're going to get Lindor back before the end of the year. 
you know, he'll probably, and, you know, and obviously this is barring any setbacks. We've seen that happen. But as things look right now, you're getting Lindor back at some point this year. You're going to have DeGrom back, you know, hopefully for September and the playoffs. Syndergaard is going to be back. You know, and he's someone who maybe you pitch, you know, you piggyback with Rich Hill, with Rich Hill or, mm. or Trevor Williams. Um, that would be a great combination. Like such a change in stuff and perspective for hitters like if you were to if you were to almost like open with rich hill go for three four innings and then bring in cinder guard for three or four yeah Dang. yeah totally and you know <laughs> you could even like you could even do like a like 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 a bridge like in the middle you know like go right. from like rich hill to miguel castro to cinder guard like continue ramping it up you know yeah yeah um and so you know if these guys do come back you know, you, you, you know, and then they're available for the postseason. They're available for the last month of the season, whatever it is, Like that's big. And, you know, the 2015 team, it's like, they were probably, I'd say they were probably like the Dodgers, I think were probably a little bit better than them in 2015. Yeah. And they still managed to beat them. The Cubs were like, like I, the Mets steamrolled the Cubs. They swept them like, but the Cubs were a better team. Cubs were, the Cubs were really young at that point. Yeah, like that was, I think, what well, wasn't that Bryant's rookie year? Yeah, Javi Baez too. That was that was uh, Schwarber's was rookie year. year. Yeah, uh, Anthony Rizzo was on that team. Yeah, um, you know, and then they also had. Uh, and it was a similar you know, situation. They didn't have much pitching. Like they, I think, I think at that point, even the Mets pitching was still better than the Cubs pitching. Yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully, like if the Mets do make it, like. Like you really like, you know, I mean, so much can happen. They, you know, there's two months left of this season. Um, the Mets can get hot. They have a lot of talent. They have guys that are underperforming. Um, right. You know, so if these guys can just string it together, I mean, they have the talent to do so. You know, it's not an un, it's not like an unfathomable thing to think that they can't get it together. Well, and it's been such like a <laughs> the season has been such a like white knuckle like blizzard drive of a of a season you know like mm-hmm. i feel like they've been trying to just get to the next day especially with the starting pitching the uh you know the injuries that they've had and the and the hurdles they've had to get through i think it is a huge thing that now that they have acquired rich hill and carlos carrasco is back from injury they have five starters that they can say like yes this is a starting pitcher and he will pitch every fifth day and mm-hmm. like they didn't have that even a week ago. So yep. uh, I think that's another, you know, big thing to have some stability going forward. Even if, even if, okay. Yeah. Like Rich Hill hasn't gotten off to a great start. Like he's given up what, like seven earned runs in two starts and in, in like nine innings or something like that. Like at the end of the day, like Rich Hill saved the bullpen from having to do all of the heavy lifting, which has kind of been the storyline with the starting pitching lately, at least over the past like month or so, is that there was such there's just the huge question mark over the starting rotation of who was even gonna start on any given day. That like as a bullpen arm, you gotta think to yourself, geez, like I really gotta, even though I feel like my arm's about to fall off, I gotta go out there and perform today. So yeah. So I mean mm-hmm having some sort of stability with 
a rotation of five actual dudes is massive. Yeah. And plus you have Trevor Williams now too, who can start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's someone who I'm sure will be up sooner rather than later. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to, before we wrap up here, I want to pour one out for our buddy, Tony Benz, mm. Anthony Bonda. Rex Specs. Got, got claimed off waivers today by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Bummer. And I'm just not over it. I'm not over it. <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm, not, I'm not over losing Tony Benz. I'm not. And the thing is, like, his numbers are probably not that different from, like, a Jared Eikhoff. But I hate Jared Eikhoff. But I love Anthony Banda. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Fuck Jared Eikhoff. Yeah, fuck, fuck Jared fuck, Eikhoff. <laughs> fuck Jared Eikhoff. Yeah, get out of here. I'm sure he, listen, not as a person. Jared. Yeah, I'm sure I'm he's sure a, a wonderful guy. guy. Yeah. I'm sure you're a great guy. I actually I'm really sure liked his, uh, his post-game press conference after he got absolutely lit up in his last start where he was like, yeah, uh, it's embarrassing. Like I, like I did not do my job and I let those guys down in the locker room. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this guy really, he really wore it. Um, And you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm going to take the stance of as a, as a player, I hope, hope you don't suit up for the Mets again. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Say what you were going to say. No, I, I agree with you. Like as a person, you know, Jared, I call him sure is a, is a model citizen. Um, mm. I'm sure he's a great. Nope. So my laptop died. <laughs> <laughs> as I was, as I was, go, as I was going on a spiel about Jared Eikhoff, um, but the last, just, just like an abridged version of what I was saying is that I'm sure Jared Eikhoff's a great guy. I agree with you, Mike, that I hope he doesn't suit up for the Mets again, and uh, it'll be nice to not have to see him pitch again. Hopefully, um, as a Met, um, but yeah, for whatever reason, like Anthony Anthony Bondo, like certainly is not good but i think he like endeared himself to fans oh yeah because he was drinking a beer post game with aaron loop and like (laughs) i don't know he he pitched in that game in cincinnati and like like stepped to the plate you know like like figuratively um you know he's he he really uh gave the mets something that they needed at that given time and it really is that next man up mentality um Mm. and so and he's he's a match legend for sure. Um, Anthony Banda, Tony 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 Bands, and so um, I really think it was. It, it's really basically three innings that separates Anthony Banda from Jared Eikhoff, and it's unfortunate that that's the case. But but really, <laughs> like that's the reality. Like Anthony Banda had three strong innings that Jared Eikhoff never did. So yeah, <laughs> but those three innings were important. You know, it's yep. more than Jared Eikhoff gave us. So, but. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm glad we took the high road today with how we were talking about, you know, the the deadline the last week because I, you know, I know that like, and I, I like I said, I've fallen victim to some of the negativity, but today's a new day, and at the end of the day, the Mets are still in first place, and uh, no one's running away with this division, and um, all they need is to, you know, all they need is to to get a little bit hot, and this division is probably theirs. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's being able to see them in a pennant race this late in the season and not having to have been sellers of the deadline is exciting. And, yeah. um, 
you know, we just have to take it day by day, like you said. Yeah, day by day. And uh, I'm really excited to see what how this season ends up. I mean, I think it's going to he's going to have implications for years to come too. I mean, imagine if Michael Conforto can figure it out and, and do something down the stretch. Uh, you know, I think, I think if you were to ask the front office right now, do you re-sign Conforto? Um, you know, maybe they just extend him like a one year prove it deal because, mm-hmm. and, and just chalk this up to, to an L of a year. So I don't know, it'll be interesting. And um, yeah, day by day. Don't get too high. Don't get too low and stop and stop being so mean to Trevor May, please. Yeah. He's the man. I love Trevor May. Yeah, I do too. Stop being mean to him. Stop being mean to Marcus Stroman. They're good guys. Yeah. And stop they being mean win. to players' families. Stop being mean to players' families. Yeah. Leave, no re- leave James McCann's wife alone. Yeah. Yeah. Leave, leave, uh, uh, Jordan Yamamoto's wife alone, you know? Yeah. Like uh, just, just shut up and watch the game. Yeah. So when we catch you guys again later this week, which we actually will this time, um, we'll be taking a trip down memory lane, I'm sure. Um, But this episode is dedicated to Anthony Bonda, you hell of a man. Go enjoy him. Let's go. Go go enjoy a Miller Lite in Pittsburgh. (laughs) I'll enjoy a Miller Lite in honor of him. Same. Maybe not a Miller Lite, but I'll enjoy something in honor of him. Oh, come on. All right. I I do like Miller Lite. I do like Miller Lite. I'll do it. (laughs) I'm no, I'm never too good. Don't be a snob. I'm not, I won't be. You're right. (laughs) Mike, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, man. Always. We'll, uh, we'll catch you later. We'll catch up later this week. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.